I did not like watching myself back at all until 2019 when I did a speaking engagement in front of about a thousand people. And I thought I nailed it. Well, I watched it back and I was trying way too hard to be funny. It was like a five minute failed stand-up routine. It was terrible. And after I watched it back, I thought, oh, I have to watch these back. Welcome to the Speak as a Leader podcast, where you learn how to speak fearlessly on stage, on camera, and in person. I'm Nasheen, a leadership communications coach from the Fortune 500 world. And on Speak as a Leader, I talk to leaders from corporate giants like Amazon and Google to startup founders, visionaries, TEDx speakers, and even leaders who have worked at the Pentagon. You will get to know how these leaders learned the art and science of speaking fearlessly on any stage. Let's get started. Jackie Hermes is the CEO at Excelity, and she's been an entrepreneur at the same company for the past 10 and a half years. Not just that, but she's bootstrapped it from zero to seven figures, both huge milestones that immediately intrigued me to reach out and want to talk to her. Well, that and her amazing personal brand on LinkedIn with 110,000 followers. I first came to know of her when she was on two of my favorite podcasts, Coffee with Kim and Launch Your Business with Terry Rice. And I couldn't believe it when she said yes to my request for a podcast interview. I know you will love listening to her insights because I was blown away by her humility and her wisdom. So let's get into it. Hi, Jackie. Thank you so much for being on the Speak as a Leader podcast. I was so, so looking forward to this conversation because I have been hearing you speak for the last year on all the different podcast shows that I love listening to. And I saw that you've been super intentional about building your personal brand through speaking. And Mm -hmm. that's why it was just fantastic when you said yes to being on the show and it got me really excited and I am still really excited to (laughs) talk to you. So thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. I'm so glad we get to chat in person. Well, I guess virtually in person versus I've gotten to know you a lot on LinkedIn, which has been amazing. Thank you. So kind. Thank you. So let's dive into it. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your amazing entrepreneurial journey. I know you have a lot of stories to tell, and I always love hearing about your origin story and how you worked through all the different challenges that you had and that you really took us through because you've been very public about your journey, which I love. Mm -hmm. So would you tell us a little bit about how you got started and where you are now? Yeah. Ooh, okay. So we could go back to the first company that I started, which was a vegan cookie company. I was not vegan, nor do I cook. So it was an interesting choice. We ended up selling off that company really basically for what we bought it for. So it wasn't like the most crazy success, but it was a huge learning lesson, which was really, really important. And then I used a lot of the money that we earned running that company to start Excelity, which has now been around for a decade, which is very weird. I still feel like I'm like 22 years old. (laughs) 
That's incredible. It's incredible that you got your first taste of entrepreneurship somewhat accidentally without mm. actually planning for it. And mm -hmm. then you intentionally built the company that you're running now. And unlike a lot of other small ventures or startups, it really went on for a while and you're you're still going strong after 10 years. So crazy. tell us about that. How how did that happen? And were there points in the journey? I'm sure there were where you felt like, I don't know if I can do this for another year, let alone another five or 10. Oh, all the time. All the time. I think anyone that runs a company, it's probably an annual thing that it's like, you know, how, how long do I want to do this for? And what is my vision? And I always end up doubling back down into the company, but it's hard, right? There's lots of, especially the last few years have been incredibly difficult for a lot of people. And so I think it's been easier to want to quit than ever because the economy and political unrest in the United States and in a lot of other places and COVID and, you know, there's just a long list of a million different things that that made running the company very difficult. And we've almost gone broke many times. I put my own company, my own money into the company many times. There's ups and there's downs and the ups are great and the downs are hard, but they get easier to deal with every time. What's kept you going during this whole time? Hmm stubbornness. I don't know. I hate failing. <laughs> um, and, you know, I love my team. They've been with me for three years, five years, seven years, eight years. There's a number of people that have been with me through all of this. Actually, one of them gave me a Christmas card that she forgot to give me at Christmas last weekend. And I read through it and she she said, your faith in us and your faith in, in yourself got us through it again because last year was rough for us. And it was like, it's so nice having people that, that want to come to work. They're passionate about the work. They want to stick around and we all work really well together. So I like, if I ever, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. It comes down to, I couldn't do that to them. You know, I, I could never just shut it down on a whim because I know how dedicated and how much work all of the the team have put in. That's so heartwarming to hear. Mm. And <laughs> you call it stubbornness. I would call it persistence and tenacity. That's really, it's really one of the traits that you see in a lot of successful people. A lot of times the difference between someone struggling and giving up and someone succeeding and achieving their vision is that the person succeeding did not give up. They just kept going despite adversity. So mm -hmm. it's it's great that you found that that inner motivation to keep going. I, so, I also am very stubborn. So that's why I call it that. <laughs> sure. Was that is that something that you had to work on as a leader? Because I can imagine that if you're stubborn, if you're very married to a particular vision or a particular way of doing things, then it's harder to let go of that and let go of control. Mm -hmm. I have had to work on that a ton as we've grown the company, because when you hire people that are smarter than you or have more experience than you or know things that you don't, you have to let them take the, take the reins and be in charge. Let's rewind to Jackie from 10 years ago. She's starting this company. She knows that she wants to go out and, and grow 
the company, make sure that she's visible and get clients. It's a service-based business. She, you need clients to be able to get that capital to keep the company going. How was it tying that growth to being more visible, getting your personal brand out there, and then eventually speaking more and more? Did, did the visibility and the personal brand building happen very quickly after you launched or did it take time? It took time. So I didn't start, let's see, the company is a decade old and my personal brand is three and a half years or four and a half years old. Do you know Q, Quinton alums from oh, yeah. yes. LinkedIn? From LinkedIn. He came to me and said, LinkedIn video is really a great place to be. And they're really like, the algorithm is really favoring videos and you can get tons of publicity for your brand if you start. And I said, no, mm -mm. No, thank you. I'm not going to do that. But why? You have a great story. You definitely have something to say. And I was like, mm -mm, no, I'm not doing it. It took a while. He just kept hitting me up and then he convinced me. Very cool. And I love hearing about this behind the scenes because I got to know you first through all the, these different podcasts that you were doing. And Sometimes it was like an explosion where I saw you on Kim Cobb's show and I saw you on Terry Rice's show. And a lot of times it was happening within the same week, within the same two weeks. And I was like, Jackie, I need to know who Jackie is. And every time <laughs> you would come and talk about your story, I loved that A, you were visible, but B, more importantly, so you really lived up to the hype and you surpassed it for for me as an observer and as an audience, because there was so much honesty and passion in how you would talk about your work, your life, how your life and your work were intertwined so deeply. They had to be. And yeah. all the, the stories you would tell. And then on, on LinkedIn, when I got to know you through your content, I got to know how much of it was part of your life, how much of what you said the stories that you talked about, the way that you presented yourself was really consistent across these different platforms. And that's what really fascinated me. So did it take time to find your voice and to find your brand? Yes, absolutely. When I started recording LinkedIn videos, I was very... I was never shy, but I was very awkward. I didn't know exactly what to say. Now, if you asked me to record a video on a topic, I could come up with what I want to say in a minute and I could shoot it in one take. It's been four and a half years of that, right? At the beginning, it was me very awkward, looking off to the side, not knowing, you know, doing a ton of takes. I'm sweating. I'm like freaking out. And it it's very, it's definitely different now. And so, yes, it took a long time to, and a lot of persistence to be able to do that. Actually, when I was assigned to shoot videos, when I was working with Q and his team and I wouldn't do them, he would make me shoot them in front of him with my phone. And it was so awkward having him and his whole team, the editor, the photographer, everyone standing there watching me mess up, <laughs> staring at my phone. I was like, I'm never doing that again. So it really taught me that I had to practice. And it taught me that I better not show up to a meeting with him without doing the things that I said I would do because ooh, I did not want to be put in that situation again. Just doing something different, like creating videos for the first time for social media it can be really intimidating. It's terrifying. 
terrifying. Yes. Actually, the first one I ever did, Hugh was already posting on LinkedIn and he said, I want you to be in my LinkedIn video. And I said, okay, I'm not starting my brand, but I'll be in your video while I shot it. And I didn't even notice that it never went up. He said it was so terrible. He couldn't post it. (laughs) And this disconnect is really important. This is something that I see a lot in the people that I coach who are building their brand for the first time and they did a random interview or they recorded a video and then they watched it back and felt like they let themselves down. And that feeling is so strange and surreal and disappointing that a lot of people don't try again because they feel that how how was it? How is it possible that I thought I did okay? I thought I was fine, but then I watch it back and that's not me. So how did you get over that feeling? How did you get over watching yourself back and not liking it? realizing, oh, wow, this is not something that someone else wants to post because it doesn't come up to their standards. And how did you push past that and keep improving? I did not like watching myself back at all until 2019 when I did a speaking engagement in front of about a thousand people. And I thought I nailed it. I thought I did so well. I was getting all this praise on social media and I was thinking, I don't even need to watch that back. Well, I watched it back and while I nailed parts of it, parts of it were out of order or I was stumbling on my words or... Uh, the the introduction, I was trying way too hard to be funny. It was like a five minute failed stand-up routine. It was terrible. And after I watched it back, I thought, oh, I have to watch these back if I expect to be invited back to speak places. If I expect to be paid for doing stuff like this, I absolutely cannot get up and make five slides of jokes that no one laughs at. Like that's not that's not a person that gets hired again. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think that was a very hard lesson to learn. I sat on that video for three or four months and I didn't watch it because I was worried about it. And I thought I did great. And now, now I always watch them back. Even when I shoot a video and it's one take, I watch it back just, just to make sure it's what I wanted to say. And that my, you know, I'm looking at the camera and my posture is what I want it to be. And my hair looks good. And you know, all those things that I'm ridiculous. And it's really great that you bring up the fact that now it's non-negotiable for you. Now you do, you always watch it back. And now you're so experienced that actually I feel like even if you don't watch it back, it'll be fine. But I think it was during those crucial times where you were really growing, working on your skills and improving exponentially. And it's literally just like an athlete who watches the game back and realizes, oh, this play was good and this wasn't. And you treat it as data. Yes. I, I I never really realized how common this was, this fear of watching yourself back on the screen. For me, it was, it was supernatural because I was a filmmaker for seven years and most of my job was staring at a screen and watching things back and giving people feedback. And then when I started doing it for myself, I was just the director giving me, the actor, feedback. So Mm -hmm. it was not personal. So I really feel that if you can somehow make that separation between feeling like your ego is hurt, feeling like, oh my God, I'm just so terrible at this, I will never get better. And just taking it as data and thinking that this was a performer 
It happened to be past me. And now present me is going to help future me get better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, you know what? I still watch videos back periodically and think, oh, did I post that? (laughs) Did I say that? That was not my finest moment. And I think it's okay to critique yourself and to, especially seeing the the little quirks that you have. I know that I use plenty of filler words, especially when I haven't prepared beforehand. I like, 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 you know, et cetera. And mm-hmm. I know that I do other things like nodding my head constantly all the time. And a a coach once told me to stop doing that. And I was thinking, I think it's an affirmative thing to do, right? So Mm -hmm. I still do it, but I try to do it a little bit less. Otherwise I'll sit in a sales call, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, all over the place. And so I like to walk or watch back for, for those things, the little tweaks Mm -hmm. that I want to make. And then when people give you the information on how to prepare, you have to do so reading through making notes, not so far as making a script, but just understanding what you're going to be talking about. Because once you get to a place where you think you're good, a lot of people don't do any preparation anymore. And then your words become full of the filler or you're not hitting the talking points that you would like to, et cetera. I'm sure that's something you talk about with your clients. Yes, that is so spot on. When you reach a specific level of competence, you get complacent. And I, I'm sure this mm-hmm. applies to to work. It applies in so many different contexts through to relationships where really good becomes the enemy of great. And then good slips to average, just above average, just getting by like, yes, sure, I could go on stage and do this presentation and People will be fine. They're not going to be horrified or traumatized by my performance, but neither (laughs) will they remember it the next day. So really pushing past that, that ceiling and going to the next step, that's what really takes a lot of effort. And it's really interesting that you brought up the nodding. Did you know that women nod more often than men? I think I've heard that before and it does not surprise me. It's that women have been taught to appease the audience by smiling and nodding. And I find Mm -hmm. myself, the men on my team, they don't sit and just smile in meetings. I sit with a huge smile. It doesn't matter. We could be talking about critical feedback of something I did. And I would be like, thank you so much for the feedback, right? I don't even know. I don't know why, why, but we are conditioned. (laughs) That does not surprise me at all. Apparently, women nod to indicate that they've listened. So understanding and agreement. Mm -hmm. Men nod Mm -hmm. only to indicate agreement. They are not going to nod as often just to indicate that they've understood you. And this also leads to confusion sometimes, even if it's just subconscious confusion, where a man might take your nodding to indicate agreement because that's what they're used to seeing Mm -hmm. or experiencing the nod for. But you're simply just nodding to indicate understanding. My nod is a, that makes sense. Nod, usually. When when you just said women nod more than men, yes, they do. That makes total sense to me. And it's exactly what I've seen. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. So if I was to ask you, describe the Jackie brand, what adjectives would you use? I don't know that I have a brand outside of who I am 
And I try, I think that's why you see the consistency everywhere because I try to act the same way with my friends as I do on the internet, as I do in my written pieces. And so it's very easy to have a consistent brand in that way because the brand is all me. And if I change, then the brand changes with me. So as I have over the last five years, especially since I started this personal brand, I've changed so much mentally, physically, in my thought process and my habits. And I just use the brand really to kind of document what I'm doing and show the changes so they make sense to everyone. So I try to be very transparent and very straightforward and a little funny. And I've learned not to try to be funny, but just, you know, to throw in my little odd sense of humor, which doesn't always translate on the internet. I have learned. (laughs) So sometimes I have to taper that a little bit. There are so many things that people go through that no one talks about and someone has to start the conversation and it might as well be me is like the cornerstone of, of my brand. And people say, oh my gosh, you're so brave for talking about that. And it's like, it feels natural to me. I I did a podcast interview yesterday and he asked me where a habit came from. And I was thinking, hmm, I told him if I was in therapy, this would be my answer. It's probably from this part of my childhood. And it was not good at that time, but it has turned into something that served me. And that's just, it's the way my brain thinks and it's the way that it comes out. That is fascinating. Being that consistent really helps in in not getting you too up in your head, too caught up with, oh, what should I say? Is this is this going to be on brand or not? If you were to post something on LinkedIn about your your life, you probably wouldn't tell the same story on LinkedIn about the same thing that's happened. You probably wouldn't tell it the same way on LinkedIn as you would to your best friend. No, because LinkedIn has that professional filter. You know, I took a Valentine's Day post and posted something of my husband and talked about how important it is to choose the right partner because that's the professional filter. The things that I would put on other social media platforms about him would not be exactly the same, but it all is the same tone and it's all true to me. And it's definitely not spontaneous what I post. I do have a system around what days I try to post certain topics and how much I try to post in each category that I like to post in. So a lot of it is uh, motivational and inspirational. I talk a lot about the journey of entrepreneurship and the challenges and the successes. And then I talk about marketing and the agency uh, a certain amount too. And then I've started working in more personal posts that are just that personal with a business tie on Fridays, which I think is going pretty well. You know, because people are people are done with the week. They're ready to read more of that stuff. It was definitely one of your personal business stories that the last the last one that I saw that went viral and a lot of people identified with it. And that's really what gets people to relate to you as a person. I I also like that term that you use professional filter, because that is something that all of us create for ourselves. I don't think there is one standard definition of what it's like to be professional, to speak professionally. We all kind of interpret it in our own ways and we play with the definition in different contexts. So what is a professional filter, especially when it comes to speaking for you, speaking in public or speaking on a podcast? If people were applying their own professional filter to things that I post and that I talk about, they would probably deem me unprofessional. 
right? So my <laughs> professional filter is extremely different than the person over there, the person over there. Everyone has different bounds. And then I see some people that post and talk about things that I would never talk about. Like uh, no matter what happened in, in my childhood or anything, you know, I think I believe thoroughly that our parents do the best that they can with what they know and what they have. And just like we want to be forgiven, we should forgive them. And so I see a lot of people out there talking about all of those things. And to me, that's a line too far, right? So I do have some of those boundaries. When it comes to what I will talk about on a podcast or when I'm speaking, I don't know that my boundaries are too different with my husband or my best friend than on a podcast or, you know, like we started this conversation and I told you that I have an ex-husband and how we started this company. I am now remarried. You know, I will, I'll give a lot of that information. And I also am not just a total open book to all of my, everyone in my personal life. Well, of course, except for my husband. So I kind of, I don't think the line is too different, honestly. Maybe it is. And I just haven't thought about it enough. <laughs> and that's true. A lot of times we apply this filter without even thinking about it. We just mm-hmm. step into different roles on different platforms and different environments. It sounds really wholesome. <laughs> what, what I'm really intrigued by is this theory that we're told that if you're polarizing, if you're controversial, you're going to get the eyeballs, you're going to get people disagreeing with you. You're also going to get people agreeing with you. And it's going to drive a lot of engagement to your content, whether it's spoken content or videos or posts. Were you ever tempted by that? I have done it a time or two, especially when you know, if I'm working with a consultant or someone says we should post something about this and then I always regret it. I I remember one time posting something and someone commented, I can't remember what the topic was, but someone commented, this is very out of character for you. And I was like, you are right. It is delete. And then you see the people that are going super viral for the arguing in the comments and the very polarizing views. And it's like, man, do I really work this hard to grow incrementally while these people are getting however many thousand, hundreds of thousands of views on their content for this? But it's just, it doesn't align with the the person I want to be. And I love that you said it's wholesome. I wouldn't call myself an overly wholesome person. I just know that if I'm surrounded by negativity, I I will go negative. So if I hear, you know, if I have a circle of friends that's constantly bop, 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 talking about other people or being really negative, I know that I have the tendency and the ability to go negative. And I know for myself, I can't be around that. I identify with that a lot in a very generalized way. You could say there are two types of people, people that kind of dance to the tune of their own music that are very insular in a way that they can protect themselves from what's around them and just be who they are all the time. But then there are Mm -hmm. people that do take on energy from what they see around them, from what they experience, from what people are speaking. And I'm definitely, excuse me, I'm definitely one of those people as well, where I need to be surrounded very intentionally by positivity that really affects my mood and my overall sense of well-being. I think you can be polarizing while still being classy and without 
you know, without making people upset, but it's a really fine line. Like a, a Justin Welsh, I think does some of that where he polarizes people, but he's not exactly, he's not exactly like trashing other people or trolling people. Mm-hmm. Something that I wanted to ask you about was also speaking offline in person versus speaking online. As you were growing your brand, um, let's say three to five years ago, when you really started being intentional about it, did you formulate a strategy for offline speaking engagements and speaking online? How did that strategy work? It was right when COVID hit is when I was really trying to get in front of larger and larger audiences. That speaking engagement that I told you that I watched the video back and thought it was terrible. That was in at the end of 2019. And I had been asked to speak in front of a crowd of like 10,000 in 2020. And I very reluctantly said yes, because I was terrified and I didn't want to do it. But I always know that when I'm that scared, it's something that I have to say yes to because it's something that I really want to conquer. And then And then the conference got canceled. And since then, I haven't been doing quite as much. But seven years ago, I was very scared of speaking. Very, very scared. I spoke in front of a group of eight to 10 women and I was terrified. I kept asking, what's the format? Oh, it's a very casual conversation. Do I need a presentation? No. Well, what are we talking about? We'll just see what questions the group has. And I was thinking, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? What am I going to do to prepare? Am I going to sound stupid? I might say dumb things like, and she was, she she was like, calm, it's okay. And since then, it's been something that I really wanted to conquer. I don't think I conquered it all the way, but I definitely did have a strategy. I put together a website and a speaking sheet and did things like trying to get on larger stages, making sure that I was getting testimonials from them, referrals, and also just saying yes to the opportunities in front of larger groups of people that I was scared of when it made sense for my business. So I didn't want to just speak anywhere to conquer the fear. But when it was an audience that I knew would help grow my LinkedIn, could refer us business, was a complimentary product or service, or had my target audience there, then... I kept saying yes. And it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that you brought up this fear and doing it despite being scared. Sometimes Mm -hmm. doing it because of being scared, because you said that that fear is a signal to your brain that you absolutely need to do this because you absolutely need to climb this mountain. It seems Mm -hmm. intimidating. You can't let that become more and more intimidating as time goes on. Mm -hmm. I think when we're scared of something, we can make all of the excuses in the world as to why we shouldn't do it. And I know for myself, I've been through this enough times that I know when I start making those excuses and talking myself out of it, that I'm really scared and that it's something that sometimes I'll just close my eyes and fire off a yes and and do it. I love that you talked about the strategy of it as well, because a lot of people think that you just get better with experience, you know, yes and no, because if you are not intentional about the experience you're gaining, if you are not following a strategy, and if you are not using every single experience to keep building your skills, then the experience Mm -hmm. is, it's going to be empty experience. It's just going to be things you're ticking off a list. It's really about the way that I've I've worked through it, the way that I coach and the way that I'm also seeing you speak about it. It's working on that mindset. Yeah, 
there are times where I might say something silly that I might not be totally in the moment because that's just what happens and being able to forgive yourself for it. And at the same time, actually building the right skill set so that you get better and better. And the two have to really go hand in hand. Yes. In in 2018, I spoke alongside one of the first employees of HubSpot, who is a big public speaker. He's published a number of books and he's gone and traveled like the world promoting his books and doing talks. And so creating a presentation with him and seeing how he put the milestones together to have pieces of the presentation done and how much he practiced beforehand gave me a blueprint for what I needed to do for speaking in the future. So the next engagement that I did, I had the presentation done well in advance. And then I ran through it once, twice by myself, another time with my kids and a small audience, another time fully in the clothes that I was going to wear and the shoes I was pacing around my condo at the time, you know, going through what I wanted to say on each slide. And my, I'm always hand talking, my hand motions. And it made me so confident when I got up there. I didn't even have to think twice about what I was going to say. And so knowing how that process worked and how it felt when I got up there, it was so much easier in the future to to go through that same process, knowing that the end result is I could black out and I could still say what I need to say. I could have no clue that I'm even there and the words would still come out because you've practiced and you know what you're doing. It's so great that you bring up practicing and rehearsal because that is really a lot of the times the missing piece of the puzzle for a lot of people. This is again going back to our conversation about competent speakers who always feel like, I can improvise. It's fine. I have my slides. I'm going to talk through them. It's fine. I don't need to rehearse. I have no time to rehearse. And I used to be that person for the longest time. I was pretty much a competent speaker for a long time in my 20s. And I always improvised till I did my first TEDx talk. And that was really the first time that I took the whole process a lot more seriously because it was the biggest stage I would have been on at that time. And I really wanted to make sure that I was in the right mindset. Exactly what you said, that when you're on that stage, you want to feel like I have no need to be nervous because I prepared so damn much. There is no way that that I will be underprepared or I will not be confident of what I need to say. If I was to ask you, what's one thing that you do really well when you speak? What is one of your signature strengths and what's something that you would really love to change or improve on? I think when I'm with an audience engaging with them specifically and really looking people in the eye and really making sure that I'm pulling them into the presentation is something that I've always done well. And it's something that you have to practice. Hmm. I usually talk very quickly. So that's something I found myself recording my own podcast the other day and I finished and I was out of breath and I was thinking, did I just talk so fast? I know that I need to slow down. And then still those filler words words and and I look up or off when I'm thinking I still do that and that is something that I you know I'm aware of and would love to change but whenever I'm thinking I'm like hmm good question <laughs> and a lot of that is natural but yes. if it's excessive that's when you start noticing it 
It's the same yes. with hand gestures. It's it's also the same with filler words. A lot of people get away with a few filler words sprinkled here and there because that's just natural. You can't eliminate all of them. But it's it's when it's excessive, that's when you notice it and you feel like, oh, other people have noticed it too. And they just haven't told mm-hmm. me. Yes. And when I, for example, Terry Rice's podcast, when I watched back the clips from that, I used so many filler words <laughs> and I wanted to post some of them because I was in some kind of mood that day. I don't know what was going on. I had a lot of coffee and I was waving my hands around and had like a gigantic personality, but I used so many filler words. I couldn't bring myself to post one of them. So that was also an eye opener. It is those moments. It's those moments where you realize, wow, I've been doing it for so long. Why am I still making these mistakes? And either that propels you to the next stage of growth or you learn to be okay with it. I was listening to Jason Pfeiffer's podcast uh, and it was one of his earlier episodes. And he talked about his book tour where he was going on all of these shows, promoting his book. And most of the time it went okay. But he was talking about how there were two times where he hated himself afterwards and he couldn't get himself to hear what he had said back. And one of them, I think, was on Gary V's show. Gary welcomed him. He said something like, oh, I'm so excited to be here. I don't even know what we're going to talk about. And he gave himself so much grief over it. (laughs) And as I was listening to it, I said, wow, this is someone who's been speaking for I don't know, 15 years, 20 years, he's he's built his entire career on speaking and he still has moments like that. We all do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it really brings you down, I think, to having more realistic expectations of yourself and really giving yourself yes. credit for how far you've come. Yes. Two things that I'm horrid at, realistic expectations and giving myself credit. So <laughs> it's always good when, you know, I'm reviewing something that happened like, oh, I really have come very far because there are a lot of people, especially the type A achievers that are just looking forward at what's next, what's next, what's next, what's the next challenge. That's totally Totally me. And I think it's very, very important to have either those, you know, checkpoints that you have in place for yourself or the people that my business coach has me reflect all the time. Okay, we had a maybe tough quarter. What were the good things that happened? And she'll sit there until I come up with them to force me to to reflect and just not be so hard on yourself. I think we're all very hard on ourselves. This is so true. The more ambitious you are, the harder you are on yourself. You hold yourself to these impossibly high standards. And then after that, when you know, when someone tells you that you have to be more realistic, you have to be more kind to yourself, you only half believe it. Mm-hmm. You, you don't fully okay. believe it, right? Uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll do it, but I still need to be this good, but I still need to do this. So mm-hmm. really finding that balance It really works if you have the help of a coach where you get guidance from someone who gets to know you on that level and is able to give you the advice that you really need to hear. From all of this, I'm getting this fascinating look inside your mind of persistence and keeping at doing something and creating these long relationships both with other Mm -hmm. people, but also with yourself, guiding yourself through this process of growth. So what do the next 10 years look like, both for you and your company? Well, in seven years, all of my children will have gone to college. They'll be out. So 
That will be weird. Very weird. I think for me personally, there is traveling and I travel a good amount already, but more of that. And then for the company, we are working on growing it. I see us rolling out new services that I I have lots of ideas, but I will not start working on anything until I know I can give it my all. And what's, what's the next milestone that you really want to hit for your personal brand? Is it bad that I don't have one? I don't know. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you know, I the big milestone I was working on was 100,000 followers on LinkedIn. And mm-hmm. I know people say followers are a vanity metric and yada, yada. To me, it's just, it's a symbol of the years of work that I've put in and it was an achievement. And so vanity metric or not, I still was very proud of it. And looking at the, the podcast, I think the the milestones for me on the personal brand are simply the people reaching out to me and saying this has impacted me in this way and the business impact that it has too is really cool because I get to do something that I love. I get to meet new people. I get to talk about things that I love. And it doesn't, there have been times where it feels like a chore. It doesn't feel like a chore. I feel very passionate about it in this season right now. And so just continuing to to work on it and have an impact and learn new things too, as algorithms change and as there's new platforms and strategies, I was like, hmm, should I try that? I don't know. And it's a fun process. It's a really fun process. I love that you mentioned that followers are not just a vanity metric. And it's so true. They get, you get a bad rap for caring about that. But of course, it's absolutely something that you should care about because it's the community that you've been building. And like you said, getting to 100,000 after years of hard work that you've put in, you've been intentional, you've been strategic, and you've been consistent. So you absolutely deserve that and more and making sure that community is not just it's not just numbers or or you know faceless masses it's people that reach out to you it's people that get to know you and that you contribute back to the community for you know for people listening that's one of the reasons that one of the ways that I reached out to Jackie that's how I got to know you it was through LinkedIn and you were gracious enough to accept coming on the podcast without knowing me too much. I think without knowing me too well, just based on a few interactions. And I love that. And I I know you've done that for so many other people, just given back and contributed. So it really, really shows. And I think it really helps build that strong core, you know, those those thousand or 10,000 really true fans that are going to stick with you and are really going to get to know you and and develop with you over time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a core to building a personal brand. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jackie, for being on the show. It was such a pleasure talking to you. I loved your honesty. I love that you peeled back the curtain and you told me so many things. You told us so many things about all the different challenges that you went through and everything that you have to look forward to, which I'm super excited for as well. (laughs) So thank you so much. And yeah. would you would you like to tell people where they can find you? Well, it's no surprise to anyone that LinkedIn's probably <laughs> the best place where I spend the most time. Also, uh, ExcelityMarketing.com is my marketing agency and JackieHermes.com is my personal brand website. So you can reach out to me in either of 
those places too. Awesome. I will have those links in the description as well for anyone that wants to reach out to Jackie. Thank you so much again. This was such a great conversation. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. That's the end of the episode, but you and I can keep talking. If you have a lot of expertise and deep knowledge, but you're not sharing it, you're not setting yourself up for growth. I teach you how to be your most impactful self on camera or on stage so you can open doors for your business through building your personal brand. Find out how at www.speakasaleader.com. That's speakasaleader.com. And if you liked listening to this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could rate us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform that you're listening on so that more people can discover us. See you in the next episode. Till then, speak fearlessly. Fearlessly.